I've asked for a better song to do what we're going to do today. Um, when I was a freshman at the University of Minnesota, um, I went through something in my life that I had never experienced before, and it was this amazing amount of loneliness. And um, I was an only child too, so I, you know, kind of did the loneliness thing quite a bit. But when I hit the U, for some reason, it hit me hard. And uh, I would actually spend time crying. And, and a song like that reminds me of the state I was in in the spring of that year. Thanks. The spring of that year, my freshman year at the University of Minnesota, which um, really got my mind thinking about God. And this week, we're going to start something that is a lot tied in with that, for me at least. Um, it, it, for the first time in two years, I'm going to stand up here and we're going to be in a series that doesn't have the word fire in it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we are starting a new series today. And the new series is called The Gospel According to John. Yep, very catchy title there. <clears throat> but each part of the gospel we are going to, we're going to name. And the first part is part one. And we're calling this, The Word Became Flesh and Moved into the Neighborhood. That's really what happened. That's what... What is an amazing thing about uh, the Gospel of John, all the Gospels, there's four different Gospels, but the, the Gospel of John is unique in that he doesn't at all talk about the birth of Jesus. It's nowhere mentioned in the, in the book. But I think he highlights it more in the first 18 verses of the book of John. John 1, 1 to 18 is what's called the prologue, and we're going to stay in 1, 1 to 18 until around Christmas time. And then we're going to boogie. We'll, keep, we'll move a lot faster, but these first... 18 verses are pretty, pretty meaty. In fact, we're not even going to get into it until October 9th. We won't even begin the book of John. I have two weeks just kind of an introduction for the whole thing. So just hang on. You know, it's not a race. It's fine. But I went to Church of the Open Door. It took five years to get through Matthew. So, huh? This is nothing. You're getting your money's worth here. Be a year or two or five to get through this. I've had a... 22-year love affair with John's writings. And this is a thrill for me. This is the first gospel that we have actually went through at, in Hope Community Church. We've done portions of one of the gospels, but this never cover to cover. We're going to do that with John's gospel. John meant a lot to me because when I told you, when I was in that point where I was saying some of those words, I was crying out to God, are, are you there, God? Is there anyone there? If you're there, God, give me a sign. And a, and a few, few weeks after that, uh, some people knocked on my door that I didn't know and invited me to a Bible study on the book of John. Now, there's no way I was going to this Bible study. No way. I mean, I didn't know these people. This is the Bible. No way. I, so the first week, I remember distinctly that they had this Bible study, and I remember... I decided I wasn't going to go. And there was something weighing over my conscience the whole, it was only half an hour, but the whole half an hour, I was sitting in my room feeling like, I should be there, I should be there, I should be there. So they, they knocked at my door, these guys, and it ended up being a guy that I did know was part of the Bible study too. And he knocked at my door and he said, well, we, we just noticed that you weren't there this time. And, and I said, yeah, I, I didn't make it. And he says, well, that's great. No one else came. We can start over again next week. We'll come and get you. <laughs> and I knew this guy. 
And so I ended up being part of a, a, of a Gospel of John Bible study that eventually led me to making a decision to want to be a follower of Christ. As, I, as the, the pinnacle event, though, came for me, was listening to a speaker. Uh, he, he happened to be a preacher. And he was just giving his story at a, at a meeting on campus. And he shared a bunch of funny things. He, he was a funny guy. He said things like, 70% of people die in bed. So when you wake up in the morning, get out of bed. Anyway, uh, but I never heard anyone ever in my life that was religious, authentic, and funny. I'd never heard those three things. Two of the three maybe, but never all three. And that was a high value for me. I have a sense of humor. It's not a good one, but I do have a sense of humor. And I like that whole authenticity. This is not just religious garbly goop going over my head because that's what I grew up with. This was a real stuff. And he shared a passage from the book of 1 John, which is also written by John, but it's a letter. He read 1 John 5, verses 10 to 13, that says, Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar, because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. He said that night, and I'll never forget it, he said, you can walk out of here knowing that you have eternal life. Not wondering, not guessing, you can know it. Done deal. Doesn't matter how good you are, doesn't matter if you've ever attended church, what it matters is that verse right there. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I had grown up going to church all my life. I had never heard that. It probably was said, but for whatever reason, it didn't connect with me. That it didn't matter how good I was or if I went to church or anything like that. What mattered was, did I have the Son? Was I a person who had accepted Christ myself? So I walked away from that meeting thinking, that is the best news I have ever heard. And I remember looking in the mirror and a big smile came across my face in the, in the bathroom in glorious Frontier Hall, fourth floor. Anyone? Anyone? No. Is there still a fourth floor of Frontier Hall? Yeah. And I remember looking in the mirror and, and there was a smile on my face thinking, I can't believe that God loves me that much. And then it instantly turned to a frown. Because I knew for the first time in my life that if I was to die that minute, I knew without a doubt where I would go. Because I had not the Son. And I knew that God was calling me to do something. And I wrestled with God all night long. And finally, 6.30 in the morning, many of you have heard this before, but 6.30 in the morning, I got up and I couldn't sleep any longer. I didn't have class till 9. So 6.30, you know, for a freshman is like, you know, 2 in the morning. Got up and, and, and I took a shower. Great water pressure in front of your hall. Nobody else. I was on a stoner floor, so all the other guys were not up yet. And... And it was there in the shower where I, I went back and forth thinking, should I make this commitment? Shouldn't I? Should I? Should I? And I said, yes, Lord. I want to be a follower of you. That's where it started for me. It was from this simple passage in John. And then as I got involved with reading the book of John, it's one of the first books that I read in the Bible, um, I started reading more things. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Yes, there really is a reference to what that guy that rainbow guy, by the way, I did a little research on the rainbow guy. I was going to put a picture. Ooh, the rainbow guy's a little messed up. Um, 
Do a little research on him. Anyway, uh, but the, the Bible verse is still true. John, then John 5.24 says this, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. This was a real big deal for me early in my Christian experience. God, I, 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 I've come to a point where I've accepted you, but I still mess up. Am I still okay with you? Am I still okay with you? John 5.24 says, I've crossed over. And then to seal the deal, as I kept reading in John, John 10.27-30 through 30 says this, My sheep know my voice. Listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. So that you're in Jesus' hand. Then he says, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. So it's like God the Father has his other hand there. I and the Father are one. And I felt like, man, you know what? It is an arrogant thing of me to say that, that I'm so bad that I could slip out of the grip of Jesus Christ and the grip of God the Father. He is holding on to me. The last 22 years have been a ride of him, him holding on to me. You might say, you know, Steve, you're just one of those guys that's a good finisher. <laughs> I'm a terrible finisher. Ask any of my staff. I have 33 ideas of which two get done. It is because of the, Jesus is holding on to me and the Father's hanging on there. I have, otherwise, I'm toast. It's the only reason. This book has had a serious impact in my life. The writings of John has had a serious impact in my life. Shortly after I got exposed to the book of John, I started opening up my dorm room to other guys to study the book of John. And highlighted when I was a junior, my, Mark Balhorn and I were roommates, we had 22 guys in a dorm room studying the gospel of John. And, and it, would only, it was only supposed to go 45 minutes. It would go, we'd, we'd make a stop so if people wanted to leave. But it'd go three hours some nights. These guys were just into it. It was just a crazy thing going on. When we started Hope, the first thing I did is started a, a John study with a group of men. Anybody remember those? Anybody part of the Big Ten boys back in the early days? No, they all hated it and they left the church. Where are they? <laughs> Nobody's, Chris Walker is part of that. Neil Feldhahn, a few other guys. We met at the Big Ten and just studied the Gospel of John together. And then a few years back, uh, we did the Gospel of John again. And again, that group just grew like crazy. You want to get a big group? Study the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John arguably has had more impact on people's lives than, than uh, I would say, any, possibly any other Gospel or any other book. And I know Mar uh, Hamlet would maybe disagree with that, but he's not in this service, so I'll say it. He likes Mark, and Mark's a great gospel. But when people are in a questioning time in their life, I thought that was Hamlet coming to get me. Um, <laughs> when people uh, want to start somewhere in the Bible, we hand them the Gospel of John. In fact, it's in the pews. If you don't have a Bible and you just want a Gospel of John, this is our gift to you. You may take this at any point during the series. You may have this. If you just want one so you can be studying it on your own, you can take it. It's free. You can take one of those. More people have read the Gospel of John to understand Christianity than, than any other Gospel, probably any other portion of Scripture. Some people throughout history have had said this, that the Gospel of John has had such an incredible impact because of its... It's simplicity. It's an incredibly simple gospel, but you know what? It's an incredibly deep gospel too. Augustine, or Augustine, however you want to say it, said this. He said, John's gospel is deep enough 
for an elephant to swim in and shallow enough for a child to drown. No, excuse me. <laughs> it's amazing what the word not. Just, you forget that and how much that changes things. It's like, have you ever heard that about the, uh, the what do they call it, the devil Bible or whatever? That, that instead of thou shalt not commit adultery, they forgot the not. Anyway, um, John's gospel is deep enough for an elf to swim in and shallow enough for a child not to drown. Martin Luther said this. He said, this is the unique, tender, genuine, chief gospel. I love this. He said, should a tyrant su succeed in destroying the holy scriptures and only a single copy of the epistle to the Romans, Luther was a big Romans guy, uh, and the gospel according to John escape him, Christianity would be saved. Luther says, if you just got this and Romans, everything else could de be determined out of that. James Boyce, a famous uh, preacher just as of recently said this, the gospel of John has been a source of blessing to untold generations of God's people. It has probably been the means by which more persons have come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord than any other single portion of Scripture. And I think that's true. And so it is, it is, a, it is a great delight that we get to, to start a new series today uh, on the gospel according to John. And I hope you're, you're buckling your seatbelts because this is going to be a ride through it. I absolutely loved Acts, but to get a chance to just do, you know, Jesus all the time, 24-7, as we go through this, is going to be just great. I want to do some stuff now that, that for some of you, you have my permission to go straight to the Bahamas right now and just enjoy the weather down there. Uh, it's a little bit of introduction type stuff. For others of you, you're really into this. And what I'm going to say in five minutes, people write books about that thick out of it. In fact, I spent so much time, I spent more time for the next five minutes than I probably have in any other sermon. I want to talk about the, who wrote the book of John and the dating of the book of John. And I'm really, I'm going to do this very quick. So if you're one of those that are Bahama checkers, I'll tell you when to come back. If you're one of those who really wants to get into it, come up to me afterwards. I'll give you some great resources, some great websites. Who wrote the book of John? When was it written? Well, I think the book was written by John. So there. <laughs> Take that. You know why? Because it says it right here, the gospel according to John. Um, and actually, that is when John wrote the gospel according to John, he didn't write the gospel according to John. So that part is added later. But it's not added much later. In fact, that's one of the things I would argue for why the apostle John, brother of James, buddy of Peter, hung out with Jesus for his, all three years of his ministry, uh, very shortly after, they named this uh, Kata Yohanin, which basically, in, in, for those of you who know Greek, means according to John. There's not a single manuscript, early manuscript, that says anything other than that. So, very early on, they picked this up, that they said that. Now, the Gospel of John itself claims that it was written by an eyewitness. If you look at this, first, uh, I'm just going to buzz through some things here, so you Either follow on the insert of the screen. You're never going to keep up with me with your Bible unless you're really, really good. But uh, John 1.14 says, The Word became fleshed and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. I just want, we're going to come back to this whole passage. It's an amazing sentence. But just the, we, we have seen it. So first off, John claims that he's an eyewitness. If, if, if you can see the same language in his letter in 1 John in the first verse. 
where he says in that letter, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. I don't know how much more clear he can make it. I was there. That's what he's saying. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. So uh, those two things linked, this person claims to be an eyewitness. Then we see that this person is more than just an eyewitness. He's one of the people that's part of the inner circle. The inner circle with Jesus consisted of three guys. Peter, James, and John. Those two were brothers. James and John were brothers. John 19 talks about the end of Jesus' life. We'll come back to this passage in, in just a little bit. And, and the end of Jesus' life. And, and he's there with his mother. And he's, he's on the cross at this point in time. He looks down at his mother and, and he sees John, or excuse me, seems, he sees this person. I won't say John yet. We're, we're not there yet, but it is John. But uh, he sees this person and he says, you take care of my mother. Look in verse 33. You have to kind of go halfway on the slider. It says, but when, oh, I better back up a little bit. Verse 26, middle of it, it says, uh, when Jesus saw his mother standing there and the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is a weird phrase. But it's, just, it's, it's a way that, way that the author talks about himself. Verse 33, But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. Bottom line, he's saying simply this, I was there, I'm writing this. Okay? So that guy who took Mary is the guy who wrote this. Then you see that again in, in, in John 21. At the end of the Gospel of John. It says, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? Again, it's this disciple whom Jesus loved thing. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that, this, that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Okay, so here's what we know so far, that the author of this book claims to be an eyewitness. He's right in the inner circle. He's the one whom Jesus loved. He's the one who puts his head against Jesus. We'll see that in just a little bit. He, uh, and, and there's three in the inner circle. It's Peter, James, and John. Okay, it's not Peter. Why is it not Peter that wrote this? Because Peter is here and he's saying, what about him? Unless Peter's got serious issues, it's not Peter. Because Peter's talking about somebody else. It's not James. Anyone? Why not James? Thank you. Very good. Acts 12.2. He paid attention. Thank you. Dave's a good guy. Uh, Acts 12.2. James is dead by the time that this would have been written. So it's not Peter, not James. Leaves John. Now, that's internal evidence from just the book itself, what it says in the book. Now, what do other people say? What are, some, what are other external evidence? Two quotes from, and boy, you could really spend a lot of time on this, but I'm not going to. Two quotes from very early church fathers. First one is from Arrhenus. He was born in uh, around 130 and died around 200, he said this. He said, Matthew also issued a written gospel among the Hebrews in their own dialect. 
while Peter and Paul were preaching at Rome and laying the foundations of the church, after their departure, Mark, the disciple and interpreter of Peter, did also hand down to us in writing what had been preached by Peter. Luke also, the companion of Paul, recorded in a book the gospel preached by him. Afterwards, John, the disciple of the Lord. So he makes clear who he's talking about here. John, the guy who hung with Jesus for three years, who also had leaned upon his breast, did himself publish a gospel during his residence in Ephes at Ephesus in Asia. Clement, another church father, right around that time said this, but that John, last of all, conscience of the outward or literally bodily facts that had been set forth in the gospels was urged on by his disciples and, divinely moved by the Spirit, composed a spiritual gospel. So, there's a lot more we could talk about. Now, believe me, you could spend a lot of time here, but basically, I believe it's pretty clear and that John even left enough evidence to make it clear that the Apostle John wrote this, this book. When did he write it? That is hugely debated too. But most people today, almost all the people, including people who don't even think that the Bible is literally true anymore, have found from external evidence that they believe it's between 90 and 100, somewhere in there. It's probably after the fall of, of Jerusalem in AD 70, but it was in 90 to 100. That, if that doesn't make any sense, it doesn't really matter. But uh, two, two, two scholarly quotes are on this. If Kumul says this, he's a famous, um, Anne wrote this down for me, and I misplaced it. Anne, are you in here? British? This guy's a British scholar. Anne is not here, this service. Okay, um, if John was known in Egypt in the first quarter of the second century, so by 125, they found other writings of John. That was the big discovery. They used to think John was two, 300. In the last 50 years, they found uh, writings of John out there with, uh, dated about 125. The beginning of the century, second century is a terminus ad quem, obviously, right? Anybody a terminus ad quem? Huh? Huh? Nobody? Huh, amazing you don't know that word. I didn't have to look it up. It says, uh, it means, well, like a goal or a finishing point or a final limiting point in time. The date of the author's death was the only terminus ad quem for the manuscript. In other words, <laughs> it can't be any later than that. The beginning is second century. On the other hand, John's knowledge of Luke is extremely probable, so it could not have been written before 80 to 90. The assumption that John was probably in the last decade of the first century is today almost universally accepted. J.A.T. Robinson, he, one, another Bible scholar, says this, Indeed, one of the facts about the remarkable scholarly consensus, which we shall be noting on the dating of the Johannian, that's just put a fancy Johannian, just means stuff that John wrote, literature, is that it cuts across almost every possible division. Those who believe that all five books, the Revelation, the Gospel, uh, the, uh, the last book of the Bible, it was also written by John, uh, and the three epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, are by one man, and that, man, the, and that man, the Apostle John, and those who hold to none of these, they, they don't hold that he wrote it at all, or to almost every possible permeation of them, find common ground in dating both the Revelation and the Gospel and epistles in the years 90 to 100. I'm quoting these two guys because both of these guys are liberal scholars. 
Both of these guys would be people who would normally date things much later. Oh, that wasn't really written by John, all that kind of thing. These guys, both these guys would even themselves date it very early. Early as opposed to it wasn't written by John, it's real late. What's the point of all that? Now, those of you who are back from the Bahamas, I need you to know, okay. <clears throat> Here's the deal. Number one, it was written by a guy who was there. It was written by someone who had seen it. But it was also written by someone who for many years digested it. And I believe he had copies of Matthew, Mark, and Luke right in front of him. No problem with that. But he, so he had years to digest some of the things that was going on. And he's going to write, his gospel is going to be very unique than the other three. In fact, uh, we're going to look at that all next week. What makes John so, so different? All right. With all that said, now we've established it's John. Who is this John guy? If you were here two years ago, almost to the day, we talked about uh, the 12 apostles when we started our Acts series. I just want to refresh those of you who maybe weren't here. Who is this John guy? The calling of John happens in Matthew chapter 4, how he gets involved with Jesus. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers. There's two brothers. James, son of, that should say Zebedee, I think that's a typo. And, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So there's these two brothers. Jesus calls them all, and they just leave Zebedee sitting in the boat. Can you imagine that? He, they just leave Zebedee, his father, with a guy, if your name's Zebedee too, you got a hot temper. Because you just, Zebedee, you're going to get picked on a lot, so you, that's just who you are. Hey, what are you doing? Come back here. Clean these nets. You can just see them yelling at them as they're going. And I think there's boys. Now, I got, I got three boys. And, and here, like last night, I was home alone, and, 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 uh, and, and then they come home. And here's how three boys enter the house. It's, you hear the door, clunk, clunk, and then, doo -doo 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 -doo, boom, boom, boom. And there's this pile of three boys wailing on each other in the living room. That's how they always enter into our house. It's like a ritual. Boom, boom, boom. Rah, rah, this big pile of legs and arms and he's biting me kind of a thing. Now, I was an only kid, so I didn't experience any of that. Uh, but I've experienced enough of it having three that that's, I, I can just see James and John. That's how they were. We all, you go on the internet and you type in apostles and pictures. You all see these holy pictures of them, you know, and all the thing. Listen, James and John were trouble. Everywhere Jesus had to go, he had to say, okay, wait, wait, okay, you know, they're a work in progress. Uh, they, don't, they don't represent my movement entirely. Uh, the, the more will happen. He gives them a nickname. If you look at John, Mark chapter 3, he talks about, he gives nicknames. He gives, uh, verse 16, he gives Simon, he calls him Peter, which Petros, which means rock, petrified, we get that word from. And he calls these guys, James and his brother John, he gives them the names Boanagers, which means... Sons of thunder. Sons of thunder. These guys were wailing on each other. They're trying to have a meeting and James and John are slapping each other. Dummy, dummy. You can just see it. 
These guys were tough. And if you think, okay, I'm making that up, look at this passage. Luke 9. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Now, get the context here real quick. Jesus is getting ready to go and to die a horrible death. Not only a horrible physical death, a horrible spiritual death where he's going to be separated from the Father. And the passage says he resolutely sets himself up for Jerusalem. He's going downtown Baghdad. That's where he's going. And James and John are off wailing on each other, doing stuff. Listen to them. And he sent messengers on ahead who came into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. Jewish people don't like Samaritans. Think Wisconsin, okay? And now, oh, that's for that dig. That's for that dig you did before. Yeah, I'm paying you back. You gave a dig to the Vikings. I got him back. The, it says, but the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Didn't, they didn't welcome Jesus and, and the entourage. So James and John decided to, to call customer service on him. They says, when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? <laughs> What's the 1-800 number for, for fire from heaven? We got a little complaint here. We're not getting welcomed. Woof! And they just want to devour these guys. And they're serious. They've seen Jesus do stuff, and they're serious. They want Jesus to, do you want us to do this? And it's interesting, too, that James and John are not the kind of guys who come up to Jesus and say, you know, Jesus, if you wanted to, you could call down fire from heaven. Uh-uh. They say, hey, you want us to call down fire? We'll do it. Take, toast the whole place. <laughs> Jesus turns and rebukes them. Duh. And they went to another village. Now, where do they get this from? Where do they get this kind of attitude? Is it from father? Maybe. More so from mama. Look at this passage about mama. <laughs> Matthew 20. says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came with her sons. So mama comes with James and John. And kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he said. Well, not much. Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. I don't care which, Jesus, you can make up your mind, but I want one on the left and one on the right. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. And listen to all the other ten. The other ten are watching this. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. I don't know why they were upset, because they had the boldness to ask, or because they themselves didn't get up in line to ask, but they were ticked at these brothers. You've got to understand, Jesus does a major work of transformation with these two guys. And we don't know as much about James as we do about John. Jesus doesn't leave them there. They are a work in progress, and they get they get transformed. You see John, when John writes his gospel four times when referring to himself, he uses the phrase, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Go, yeah, there you go. The disciple whom Jesus loved. That's how, he, that's how he decides him. That's how he defines himself. More than anything else, he says, you know what? I'm loved by Jesus. If you're here today and you're a mess, and you think I'm beyond Jesus' love, John was more of a mess. This guy was a mess. 
And the way he defines himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. I want to look at a couple of these. John 13. He says, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified. This is right when he's in the last uh, supper with, uh, with his disciples. He says, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and asked, ask him which one he means. And then it says this, leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? And that phrase, leaning back against Jesus, literally is putting his head into his breast, putting his head into his bosom. Now, he could there's no reason that that's there. You could just write, and John, or excuse me, the disciple whom Jesus loved, turned to him and asked him. It doesn't say that. It says, he snuggled him. That's what it says. John, son of thunder, Snuggle boy. <laughs> There's some transformation going on here. Then, at the end of, of Jesus' life, earthly life, before he's going to be buried and, and raised again, before that happens, he looks out in John 19, he sees his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. And he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Jesus gives the care of Mary to Son of Thunder. There's some radical transformation that's going on here. John is known throughout his writings in the book of John and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John as the apostle of love. Love. He probably was one of the most gentle, loving, kind people after the transformation of Jesus. Now, Roger Messner sent me a cartoon this week. It was great, but I couldn't get it to work on the screen, but it was great. It was this guy sitting in this, in this office, but it was a, a, an ancient office, first, and it had a sign that said, First Century Publishing. And there's this guy sitting behind it who's like a, a first century publicist, and John, the Apostle John, is sitting in front there, and he's across the desk from this guy. And the guy replies to him, he says, well, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's really very good, John, but we've already had three guys who've come in with the same story this week. <laughs> why, why did John, and I believe he had copies of Matthew, Mark, and Luke right in front of him, why does John bother to write another account of Jesus? Why does he do that? John is, uh, if you take Mark's study with Hamlet, you'll, you'll, you'll find out that Things unfold, and you really have to think about how this event goes for this event and how this event fits back with it, and it all kind of unfolds before your eyes when you see all the events. It's, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> it's awesome. John is for knuckleheads like me because uh, uh, he's going to tell you. In the end of the book of John, he tells you exactly why he wrote this book. John 20 it says this, John, or Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. To, to John, Jesus was much more than a historical figure, and he's much more than someone you just even place your faith in. To John, 
Jesus was someone that you placed your faith in, and as a result, all of a sudden, you became alive. You changed from a son of thunder to a snuggler. I got one thing to ask you for as we start this. There's 21 chapters in this book. If you take three chapters a day, you could read it by next week. If you do two chapters a day, you'd be ready by two weeks. If you did one chapter a day, you'd be ready by October 9th when we start the series in John 1.1. I'd ask you to read it. If you don't have a Bible or you just want one you can throw in your back pocket, they are right there in the front of the pew. They are for you to take and you can take it with you. I would love to see the words of this gospel be one that permeates through us as we study this. Let's pray together. Jesus, you created us to be people who long for and desire to be transformed. And what transforms me more than anything is knowing that people and you love me. And Lord God, this gospel is going to reek of your love for us. We're going to try to deny it. We're going to try to do everything we can to push it back. But you're just going to keep pursuing us with your love. You're going to transform the sons of thunders and all of us into being snugglers. Jesus, I ask in this room that, that you would come and you would give life, life in places in our lives that feel dead. Lord God, this book is filled with healings. People in this room need physical healing. They need emotional healing, relational healing. Lord God, there are people in this room who have, have struggled for maybe years with knowing whether or not you're even there, kind of like I was when I was a freshman. God, by your word and by your spirit, just open it up so that they can see. Father, I ask as we enter into this series, not that you just fill our notebooks with things to write down or, or, or things that fill our minds, but that you would grant to us that we would have this kind of life, that you would grant to us the faith to believe and as a result to have life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.